0: Please continue standing as we uh, continue worship with a reading from Ephesians 1, 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. But he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please say hello to someone as you have a seat. Morning. How's everyone doing?
1: Good job. appreciate that. Okay. Uh, I'm Chris, I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone. Uh, Gary, thank you for last week carrying the weight of communication. Gave everyone a much needed break from me, uh, but I'm back, so here we go. Uh, If you're a guest, we've been in a convo called uh, Churchianity, and all you have to do to get at the center of this conversation is compare that made up word, Churchianity, to the real word, Christianity. Uh, Just compare the words, and you will see what we're talking about. We're We're talking about this really subtle deception which is when uh, the power, the love, the leadership of Jesus is effectively removed from Christianity, and all you're left with is this kind of religious shell. And um, this shell, divorced from Jesus, uh, begins to take on a life of its own. And all, it comes up with its own norms, it comes up with its own expectations, with its own list of rules, its own leadership styles, right? its own weekend events that look sound and feel nothing like Jesus himself fascinating, really. His love, his healing power, his supernatural ministry, his presence is just not there. It's Christianity absent of the thing that makes it Christian in the first place, right? So how many, how many people only experience the shell and they walk into church and they see the shell and they think this shell could use some help, you know? I mean, the slides, you know, and they met the wrong notes and that guy doesn't, he's clearly not professionally trained, right? And then they walk away, never meeting Jesus himself, never encountering the man. His power, his leadership, his influence never breaks through to the reality of your life. You just experience the shell and walk away thinking, oh man, Jesus is really not what he's cracked up to be. Those people are, right? Now... Of course, it's very fun to pick the low-hanging fruit of calling out hypocrisy in the church, right? Right? I mean, what red-blooded American doesn't love that, right? So we've spent some time, a little bit, talking about that, okay? But what I'm trying to do every week is bring this, this idea of hollowing out the innards of the substance of the thing, I'm trying to bring it to your door. and I'm trying to show you how all of us as individuals have a really impressive ability to do this to forego any real relationship with Jesus at all, any real dynamic, like real dynamic between you and Jesus, but to say, well, you know, it's in the South. My parents are going to, church. I guess I should go to church. And you know, these people are weird, but I need friends. I don't want to be alone. They seem kind of sweet. They gave us a meal train that one time, you know? So yeah, I guess I'll show up, right? I'll help a little bit. Lord knows they need it, you know, bless their heart, right? I'll listen. And of course, I'll read the Bible a little bit because I want to prove to my friends that I'm smart, and that's a thing around here, I should read the Bible, right? And Jesus, well, he was a cool guy. Do you talk to him? Um, what do you mean? That feels weird. Do you, do you listen to Jesus? How? How do I, what are you talking about? Dude's, I mean, like, he's not, not sitting around here. Do you obey him? What, dude? Let's not be radical, all right? Let's not get into religious fanaticism here, okay? I'm here for the community, right? But you follow Jesus, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, right? What I just described to you in my snarky way um, is maybe 80% of Christians' experiences in America. It's Christianity absent of Christ Himself. It's churchianity. It's not Christianity, man. It's absence of the man. He's not there. His power, His presence, His leadership, His influence is nowhere active in your life. You just go to church once a week. It's such a lame weekend hobby, guys. It's so lame, right? Like, I love you guys. I love you guys. I mean, I'll show up, maybe just because there's cool people, but dude, if Jesus' power and presence is off the table, I'm out. Amen. I'm not in it for this. I mean, this is a lot of work. You know, I got to do all this, I got to prepare, Like, right? If I can just take, you know I right? Sorry, I got off my notes a little bit there. All right. Now, you might say, and you might rightly ask, why on earth? Pastor, would anyone in their right mind substitute a living relationship with Jesus for church? Like, you've been to church, (laughs) right? Why would anyone forego Being electrified by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, man. Having their lives completely transformed by the love and grace of God. His grace active in your life. Fully embracing the Father. Him fully embracing you. Living in the arms of a loving God. Why would anyone forego that and instead just go to church? (laughs) Why? I don't know. (laughs) But a lot of people do it. (laughs) Well, I I do know. I have notes, actually. And... (laughs) In one way, in one way, dude, it's remarkably easier just to go to church and and, instead of going to Jesus, it's remarkably easier in one way. In one way, because I mean, listen, you go to Jesus, you got to humble yourself, right? You got all of a sudden you got to worry about personal holiness, right? All of a sudden you got to tend to the unseen realities of your life. No one else sees those things. Who cares, man? Right? All of a sudden, you got to confront your selfishness. Seriously, right? All of a sudden, you got to die to yourself. All of a sudden, you got to put others in front of yourself. But you can stay king. That's, the, that's why it's easier. Go to church. Do the thing. Never deal with Jesus himself. You can stay king in your life. That's why it's easier, and that's why people do it. Look at me. It's a matter of control. It's a matter of control. Jesus, you seem nice, but let's chat real. I know better than you when it comes to my sexual ethic. Let's chat real. I know better than you when it comes to what I do with my money. Keep your nose in your own business. I know better than you when it comes to what I do with my free time. Right? You can stay king. That's why we do it, guys. In another way, it's remarkably harder to continue to do the church thing, to go to church, without also going to Jesus. Because now, you're hanging out with people that seem to have some sort of social ethical uh, standard. Like, like, serious standard. Like They're like, you can't even look at girls, right? <laughs> they got all these rules, right? Now you're hanging out with these people who have this stringent moral ethic. And without the mercy in Jesus in your life, dude, it's up to you. Now you gotta lie, bro. You gotta lie. You gotta hide. You gotta repress, right? Because if you're never going to the man himself, the only one who ever claimed he could deal with sin and guilt and shame, right? It, it's, a, it's a show now. So so what happens in America and in Christianity all the time is we have a lot of people that go to church but don't go to Jesus and end up living repressed, not undesirable lives. It just doesn't look good from the outside because they don't have the humility to go to the man himself. They go to church they don't go to Jesus, right? You start doing this, you start living under all sorts of insecurity, all sorts of anxiety, all sorts of guilt and sin, right? And I think the crux is a control issue. It's a control issue. So just for giggles, before we like really get into it because this is my intro, um, let me just show you. Uh, this is what it might look like for you, right? And I, I kind of already said it, right? It means that Jesus, you're swell, it, you're swell right but when it comes to uh my eyes i think i know more than you and i don't all this business about looking with lust is just feel, you know it doesn't affect anyone right that's what it that's what it feels like in your life that's what it kind of pans out when you get to stay king but you still want to do the church thing and go along so let's move on because i've already talked about that two weeks ago we asked if you went out and you ask any person on the street so right now let's just play the game all right here we go let's play the game Any person on the street, hey, hey, what's the good news of Christianity? What's the like, what's it about? What's the gospel? This is how, this is what we've been kind of delineating churchianity and Christianity. Their right understanding of the gospel, there's a churchianity understanding of the gospel, and then there's a biblical understanding of the gospel. If you ask anyone, what's the good news of Christianity? La, the, two weeks ago, we dealt with this one. This is probably the most common one people would think. The good news of Christianity is a bunch of rules. I don't know how that's good news, but nonetheless, that's how it ends out on the street, okay? Maybe today we're gonna deal with another one. Maybe what's the most second repeated answer of what you think the good news of Christianity is? It's just, I don't know, if you're a Christian, if you've been in church a while, I mean, just imagine yourself, I don't know, what do people think Christianity is about? Well, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people think the good news of Christianity is that it is a life enhancement program. You see? Why be a Christian? Well, it enhances your life. Which, of course, is true, (laughs) like massively true, but is that all it is? Is it just an enhancement like, uh, here's a movie. Good movie. Now, here's some buttery popcorn with the movie. Enhancement. Right? Here's your life. It's a pretty good life. You're a pretty good guy. It's a pretty good church. Right? Hey. Now, here's Jesus. Enhancement. Right? Jesus is a life enhancement, man. You got, you're, pretty, you're great, right? I'm great. Everyone's great. We got a great life. Let's sprinkle some Jesus dust in there. Right? Get a little joy. I mean, he's talking about forgiveness. Like, and Jesus is, becomes like this fairy pixel butler. Jesus is your butler, I guess. He just serves on you. He just enhances your life. Right? That's life enhancement gospel. It takes the story of Scripture. It takes the narrative of Scripture. Usually chops it up because it has to ignore some things like suffering. Because the point is your happiness, you see? It, may, it takes the bits it likes from Scripture and it fits them into your story. Your life, right? I want peace. I want joy. Jesus says he can give that. I'll sprinkle it in. He'll be garnish on the plate of an already full life, right? Like I'm not some crazy serial killer, right? I'm a pretty good guy, but I'd love a sense of contentment. I'd love not to be angry all the time, not be addicted to this and that. Maybe Jesus can help me with that. And if it works, if it works, I'll let him hang out for a while. I'll try Jesus like I try going to the gym, You already gave up this year, didn't you? Oh, huh? You guys stop already? I'll try Jesus like I'll try eating healthy that one time I tried, right? And effectively, you turn Jesus into your cosmic butler who waits on you and brings you whatever you need. The problem with this narrative is that there isn't a problem. (laughs) Life enhancement gospel works really well in first world affluent countries because things are fine. We don't need some dramatic thing like blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. We don't need the supernatural power of Jesus. We have Prozac. We have modern medicine. We aren't really that bad off. We just need a little education, a little intellectual direction. So there's not really some big problem in the world. Everyone's basically fine. I can just become a Christian to maybe make my life better than it already was. Now, this is an extremely attractive and pervasive way to view the gospel, especially here in America. Because you know why? It allows you to stay in full control. It's the rampant consumerism of our day, married with whatever Christianity can offer. Forgiveness of sins, awesome. Peace, love it. Joy, I'll take it, right? And God, if you can fit into my life, I'll allow it. But if you start messing things up, I'm out. First second I'm disappointed, I'm out. And the picture, guys, of the gospel enhancement, the gospel as life enhancement, is you are in the center, and God revolves around you. You see? You're the center of the universe. It's the, uh, it really fits in with the narcissistic impulse of our day, right? Rampant narcissism that's completely applauded in our day, like fits right in with this, right? God, you can revolve around me. You can meet my needs, right? Now, it reminds me of this really interesting story in history. On the 26th of February on 1616, you guys know what I'm talking about? 1616, no? Okay. On on February 26th in 1616, Galileo was uh, excommunicated and put under house arrest for the rest of to respond (laughs) when when they hear, hey, God doesn't revolve around you. You revolve around God. Uh, Hey, hey, here's... Uh, God is not a part of your story. You get to be a part of God's story. You get to be a part of the massive, beautiful, salvation giving, overarching meta narrative of the universe. See, when we remain king, we can say, God, you can be a part of my story, fine. When we give up that kingship, then we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, right? So, life enhancement gospel. Uh, there's some problems with this. This is what we're going to get into today. There's some there's some biblical problems. Um, well, one of them is that the Bible is just so much more realistic about the world and about humans. See, the Bible is going to say a little enhancement is not going to fix it. The Bible is going to say the problem is much deeper than that. See, what you're trying to do there is you're trying a little powder cover up on cancer. You're trying a little Band-Aid on a broken spine, and see, that's, that, the, the life enhancement gospel is the reflection of the superficiality of our age. We think we can fix things with real simple cosmetic fixes. It's, it's lipstick on a pig, right? You know that one? Right? The, the Bible, what was, was, that, was that mean? Sorry. Uh, the Bible is just so much more realistic, y'all. About, he's, the Bible's gonna say, listen, You're mudding the cracks in the wall, and they're cracking over and over again because there's a problem underneath the surface. There's a foundational issue. No matter how much mud you put on that wall, it's gonna crack again, man. You're treating the symptom, not the cause. The whole thing's gotta come down. Foundations got to be built back up in the unseen places y'all according to the bible the problem at its root is not a political or educational or gender or economic problem it's a relational problem how do you deal with relational problems let me give you a scenario real quick before we get into the real meat of what we're talking about relational problem let's just say you get in gridlock with your wife you offend her if you're married or or your husband or whatever you cheat on them you lie uh you betray them okay all right let me ask you a question is giving them a new car going to fix it Some of you are like, stop, no, no, it won't fix it. You're like, it might help. No, it's not, it's not gonna fix it. All right, I don't know if you've seen a Tesla. No, okay, it's not gonna make up for an affair. Dude, it's superficial. You gotta get to the root of the issue. The Bible's gonna say the cosmic problem in the universe is a relational problem. So what's the dynamic of that relationship? What's the internal reality of this relationship we're talking about? What's the problem according to the Bible? Now, the first one, of course, is going to, uh, everyone's gonna know it, Everyone, yeah, of course, we know that. And the second one, we're gonna have a problem with, so we gotta sit with it for a while, okay? Um, there are tons of problems in the world, more than the ones we're talking about, racism, injustice, greed, exploitation, ro- wars, violence, genocide. The Bible's gonna say, everything I just said is symptomatic. Racism, violence, greed, wars, all that's symptomatic. There's a deeper problem under it, it's gonna get at its root. The first one, as offensive and difficult as it is for modern people, is not near as uh, uh, difficult as the second one. The first one, if you grew up in church, is sin. You know that, you knew I was gonna say that, right? He's gonna say sin, right, okay. Sin, right, we know that is, like you've wounded God, you've wounded him, do you, you know you can wound God? Amen. you know you can grieve God? Yeah. That's, that's in the Bible. You've betrayed him, that's the first problem. There's a huge component of the narrative, right? We've sinned, we, there's a good, we were created good and then we separated, from our, uh, separated ourselves from God because we sinned. Now he can choose to give us over to that rebellion or he can choose to pursue and forgive, which is the Bible says is what he's done in Jesus. Now if you didn't uh, grow up in church and even for some Christian, the idea of sin can be a pretty hard sell. The first reason, it assumes God's ownership of your own life, which we'd struggle with, right? Like today, it's like, dude, I own myself, I made myself, I am self-defined, I am self, 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 right? And, all, and so the, the, the assumption of the Bible, the reason sin is sin, the reason sin is a problem in the, cos- in the narrative of the Bible is because it, it, it assumes that you are not your own. You didn't bring yourself into existence. You've, you are a created being, which is true even of all of us, right? Like you had nothing to do with your conception, bro, right? Someone else did that, all right? Brought you into the universe, all right? The Bible assumes that Genesis one narrative. God created all things, and that we have betrayed him, all right? So that's kind of intolerable, I think, for our our age, but it's nowhere near as intolerable as the second problem. You guys ready for this? (laughs) That's just, in some ways, in some ways, sin is actually a superficial problem. It's actually an outgrowth of something else. Sin is actually a manifestation of a deeper cosmic problem, Right? According to the Bible, Jesus did not come only to set you free from sin. There was something behind sin, something pulling the strings, as it were. And secondly, when we sin, we become creatures afraid of the light, just like Adam and Eve. Remember that story? What did they do after they sin? They they hid. All of a sudden, they were naked and ashamed. Then all of a sudden, they became afraid of vulnerability. They became afraid of transparency. When we sin, we feel the impulse to hide. And darkness becomes our ally. Darkness feels safe when you've done something wrong. You know what I'm talking about? You've done something wrong, you want to hide, all right? But there are other creatures in the dark. Amen. This is the biblical narrative. There are other creatures in the dark. Y'all, darkness is not neutral. I want to say this to you right now. If you're hiding in sin from God and others, if you are using, listen, look at me right here, if you're using evasion and deceit and manipulation to hide in the dark, darkness isn't neutral. It's not neutral, y'all. Deceit, manipulation, those are not God's tools. Lying is not God's, that's someone else's tools. Colossians 1.13 talks about darkness as a domain. Did you know that? A domain. It's a rule. Someone's rule. Genesis 4.7, stay with me, stay with me. Genesis 4.7 personifies sin. It personifies sin. It says this, sin is a croucher. It's crouching at the door. The Hebrew word there is ravatz, the only way, the, most of the way, only, not only, the most of the time, that Hebrew word is used in referring to lions. It's, it personifies sin. It says, Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is to rule you. You guys ever read Genesis? Remarkable book, man. What were, what, were, what were humans created to do? Rule. Rule. And here, here's this creature, this idea, this sin who's personified, and it says, Oh, be careful, he's a croucher, like a lion. And guess what he wants to do? He wants to subvert your rulership. And he wants instead to rule you. Okay, so you might think, well, Chris, that's just the Bible and it's literary, you know, flowery language. But then if you go back a language, there's a talking snake. Where did he come from? Have you read Genesis? Let me just give you some homework today. Go read Genesis 1 through 6. It's phenomenal. Okay, there is a talking snake in the Bible. The more you read, the more you understand. This is not literary metaphor, guys. You're not, you're not told, like, later, you know, you're, you're not told who this snake is in the, until way later. And even when you're all told, it's like super weird and like cryptic, right? But this rogue character has a profound impact on the biblical story, doesn't he? Yeah, the snake. It's the snake that introduces these thoughts, these doubts, these accusations against God um, that Adam and Eve agree with. Do you remember the story? Right, they agree with the snake, and then they fall. If the snake, here's a question, here's a problem. So I know we're getting into like really dicey area, personal evil. Okay, right? If the snake had never tempted, would they have fallen? That's a really interesting theological question. Whose fault was the fall? Who was to blame? Christians love to hate on humans. We love to oh, all broken proto depravity. They're all. But, who was, who was actually, I don't know. This is one of our logical issues with personal evil. If there's a shadowy figure behind all evil in the world pulling the strings, if he's the real problem, then why are you held accountable? Haven't you ever heard, the devil made me do it? Like, isn't that horrible? I hate that. Don't sit. shut up, dude. You did that, right? Why Evading responsibility, right? We have no patience for that kind of talk today. But it was the snake who lied. How come Adam and Eve were the ones who were cursed? Well, actually, Adam and Eve weren't cursed. Go read it. They weren't cursed. There's only two things that are cursed in the Genesis narrative where that word shows up. You know what's cursed? The snake and the ground. Those are the things that are cursed. Adam and Eve, he says, listen, the consequences of your choices is your life's now going to be toil. It's going to be strife. And and you you don't got access to the tree of life anymore. There's only two things cursed in the narrative, the snake and the ground. The reason we can be held responsible, it may be the snake who is tempting, but in no way or shape did the snake override anyone's will. His temptation was suggestive. He didn't have the noose around their neck yet. Totally. He just suggested it. Adam and Eve still had a choice. They chose to believe the snake, to align their thinking with the thinking of the snake. And every generation after them has the same test and fails the same test. It's very fascinating. And in the very, very beginning... God tells us something about what's going to happen to this snake. In Genesis 3.15, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, he's talking to the snake, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then the snake just disappears. You don't see him anymore. Like you don't hear him, you're like, that was weird, talking snake. Do other animals talk in Genesis? I've always wondered that. <laughs> right? Right? Do you think dogs? I don't know. that would be cool, right? But, now, this is interesting in the Bible, in the story. The snake disappears, you don't see him anymore. Now, you know what you do see? Snake-like behavior. Listen, guys, Genesis one through six is setting the pace of the entire biblical narrative. You know, and, and all through the Bible, is gonna pick up on this, you know, later, Jesus is gonna say things like, hey, like the, hey, the snake, his language is lying, he's been lying from the beginning. Anyone who lies, they're their offspring of the snake. Their dad's the snake. You guys, heard, you guys read this in the Bible? It's in the New Testament, man, right? Jesus is gonna, he's gonna is, is, anyone, is, what's this saying? You got the snake who has this behavior. What's the behavior of the snake? He lies, he doubts God, he accuses, he puffs up with pride, right, puffs them up. Listen, when that, begi- when that begins to manifest in your life, dude, that's snake behavior. You see, do you see what's happening? There's, there's offspring of the snake and there's offspring of the seed of the woman. And we get to choose which one we're going to be. Are we going to take the tools of the snake? And, but what does the scripture say? It says that he, this guy is going to come. He's going to come. He's not going to deal with the offspring. He's going to deal with the snake himself. This guy that comes later. Right? Oh, it's so fascinating. Right? So the snake disappears. But what you do see in scripture is lying, deceiving, right? Selfishness, violence. And they're becoming, they're acting like the snake. It's snake behavior. And this is another fascinating thing about the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard the Bible, but oh, please read It's such a good book, man, I'm telling you. You go through the Bible. You, how many, okay, okay, here we go. Don't we tend to think, I love it, don't we tend to think that the Bible is the stories of, of um, uh, heroes, right? Moses, he's a hero, of course he is in some way. David, a hero, and you should be like Moses, and you should be like David. Oh, that's true, that's there. But do you know, if you actually read it, the author is intentionally putting in failures of every single hero. Not one of them is, is gets out free. Every single one of them, David, poor guy, gets wrapped up in a sexual conspiracy, military conspiracy, has a dude killed. Moses has an anger problem. Abraham lies about his wife, gives him to another man, right? You think, these guys are our heroes. Look, there's something else going on in the narrative. The authors are intentionally wanting to point out these really unflattering scenarios that happen because they want to tell you something. They weren't the snake crusher. He wasn't the guy. We all thought David was the guy, but man, he blew it. And the Old Testament ends saying, the snake crusher hadn't come yet. We're still waiting for him. We're still waiting for the guy who will beat the snake, who will conquer him, who will strike his head. We're still waiting for him. And then Jesus comes along the scene. You know the first people in the New Testament that recognizes who Jesus is? Anyone want to guess? I said it before. Oh, good, that's good. Actually, uh, you are sort of correct. It is the shepherds, but it's not actually the shepherds first. It's the angels. It's the angels to tell the shepherds, right? Okay. So the first human, the first human in the story is sh- they know that's right. You know, you know, do you know who the first uh, creatures other than the, sh- the angels is demons, dude. Jesus opens up his ministry. Okay, I can tell everyone's so uncomfortable right now. Okay, everyone's like, oh, we're gonna talk about demons. Okay. Jesus opens up his ministry. He, he reads the scroll of Isaiah. Remember that one? He reads the scroll of Isaiah, closes it, goes out. He goes to church next week. Guess, <laughs> guess who he runs into next week at church? A demon-possessed man at church, okay? And do you know what happens? This demon, everyone, after Jesus' after Jesus's first sermon, everyone's like, that was great, I think. Who's this guy? Oh, he's Joseph. Have you read the story? They're, they're like, he's, is he, I thought he was, everyone's confused about who he is. And then next week, this demon shows up and says, you're the son of the Most High. Dude, it's crazy. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Don't don't throw me out. Dude, the first creatures that know who Jesus is is demons. And what is Jesus' ministry? What is he confronting? What is he doing? The whole time, Yo, he's going through cities and towns. And what is he doing? He's confronting dark spiritual powers. Now, we have massive problems with this right, as a modern society, we're like, Chris, listen, that's really interesting, and you're clearly jacked up about it, great for you, but we have things like modern medicine, and we know that all that stuff in the Bible was just uh, mental illnesses, and they were really old, they were, you know, this is called chronological snobbery, what C.S. Lewis calls it, it's like we think we're way better than them, and so they were just, they're dumb, you know, they didn't know about sicknesses and mental illnesses, they didn't have psychology, they didn't have Prozac, right, back then, and so they just thought everything was, everything was demon possessed, that's not true. That's not true. In fact, in the Bible, you see clear distinctions between people who are just sick. Peter's mom, she just had a fever. Jesus does not walk into Peter's mom's house and say, get out, demon. No, he just heals the fever, right? No, they had clear distinctions. In fact, I'll just read it for you. Here we go, because it's clear. And he came to her and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, however, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Oh, also, he cast out many demons. Ah, but he would not permit the demons to speak. Do you know why? Because they knew him. See, they clearly didn't think every sickness was demonic. But their point is that Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden, bro's got authority over both. He's got authority over sickness, and he's got authority over dark spiritual powers. Now, if that's not uncomfortable enough, all of us are right, right? The Bible's gonna take this idea of personal evil more than just kind of extreme, acute, fringe weirdo cases. That we're like, maybe we're okay with that, right? Well, they're a weirdo in the first place, and you know, who knows, whatever. that. But then it's gonna talk about mankind as a whole, y'all, as under the power of the evil one. It's gonna talk about mankind as I can see a score more so uncomfortable. Mankind as a whole, as blinded by the power of the evil one, who is called in Ephesians 2 1, the prince of the power of the air. What are they saying? They're saying there's something so deceptive, it's almost in the air. And it drags you into sin. What's that spirit? Oh, it's the spirit that's at work in the disobedience, sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived. How did we live? Oh, we were carrying out the desires of the body. Apparently, having zero self-control is saying something about whose power you are under. Acts 26 talks about salvation as being the process of turning from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. So, So darkness just doesn't represent blindness, it represents something else, someone's power. Isn't it interesting that at the end of Revelations, there's no more night? Hmm. The biblical authors go on to describe salvation as escaping from a trap. You were in a cage, it says, with iron bars. Salvation is like, 2 Timothy 2:26, coming to your senses and escaping the snare of the devil. Because you were captured by him to do his will. What? The Bible maintains all of humanity has been captured and acts in a certain way because of that captivity. And whose cage is it? Well, it's the evil one. And the more you read, the more you discover, y'all, salvation is not about salvation from bad habits. Salvation is not enhance your life and adjust little things here and there. It is about being redeemed out of slavery to dark powers into the kingdom of the Son of God. Dude, the primary picture of salvation in the Old Testament is the Exodus. Do you know what the Exodus was? Liberty from slavery in Egypt, from a dark oppressor, through the Red Sea into the Promised Land. Dude, that's the picture It's slavery, oppression under a dark spiritual overlord. We're getting like Lord of the Rings on us over here, right? I know this is very difficult for us, but this idea of being redeemed, not from just a few bad habits or a few character flaws, but rather redeemed from dark spiritual powers was essential to Jesus and his early followers. In fact, they would go on to talk about inability to understand the gospel not as an intellectual deficiency, but as a spiritual blindness. Can I say that one more time? They would talk about people's inability to understand the gospel not as an intellectual deficiency, but as being blinded by someone. Hello? We we, we still together here? Don't leave me. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, oh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's not that they weren't smart enough. If you don't understand the gospel, it's not that you aren't smart enough. It's that you're being blinded by spiritual powers. Amen. I'm just reading the book to you guys. I know this is very jarring a post-enlightened, post-industrial revolution, right, society. But let's just hear the biblical authors out. A few more things, and then we'll get out of here. I'm sorry, I'm going long today. Ephesians six twelve says this. Hey, man, you know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? Right? Like, you know that. You know that, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, the powers, man, the powers, the New Testament authors were dialed into this—the powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. This phrase, "authority and powers," has a very specific meaning to the New Testament authors. Let me show you one more example. I know I'm getting real like, collegey maybe today, but let's. Uh, we're gonna keep going. Romans eight thirty-eight. It says this. Let's just going let me just show you what the. Let's just hear them out, okay? Let me just show you what they say. Romans eight thirty-eight. For I am sure that neither death nor life. You see that? That's a pair. Death and life. You see that? Death nor life. Okay. Nor Angels, nor rulers. That's a pair. We're talking about spiritual beings. Rulers, you see? Nor things present, nor things to come. Oh, nor the powers. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. Dude, the powers. The New Testament also were dialed into it. Modern people tend to ignore this because it makes us uncomfortable. But it's very clear in the New Testament the gospel is not about enhancing your life, it's about taking you out from under the powers and giving you to the Son of God and to his kingdom, right? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Outside of Christ, the Bible's going to maintain that we are under the rule of spiritual darkness and are slaves to the will of the snake. Dude, this is crazy. And when we agree with the snake that we are smarter than God, we, that we can run our own lives, we become enslaved to the snake, We give ourselves over to his ownership. Dude, Jesus picked up on this. He talked about strong man armed. You ever read that one? Strong man armed? He says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. Very cryptic, but if you look at the context, you know what he's talking about? The guy was possessed by a demon. He was casting out demons, and they're like, you cast out demons by the demon yourself. And he's like, well, that's stupid. Um, and then he says this he says this but a str- when a strong man fully armed is guarding his guarding his house his goods are safe the strong man in this parable is, is the evil one it's the evil one he says humanity is under the ownership of the evil one he says but if someone stronger than him comes and he takes him out and he can divide the spoils right Jesus is telling us what he's come to do, y'all. He's telling us, he's telling us what he came to do. Right? That all of humanity is under the ownership of the devil. But if someone stronger comes along, he can bind the strong man, right? First John picks up on this. Whoever makes a practice of sinnings of the devil. You're the offspring of the snake. The devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, oh yeah. That's to, to destroy the works of the devil dude, is this a part of your gospel? Do you understand this as essential to what it means to be a Christian? That you've been transferred out of dark spiritual bondage into the kingdom of God? Because for the New Testament authors, it was essential. It wasn't just an add-on that some weirdo freaks can get into if they want to. Dude, it was like the deal, like you've been transferred out from under spiritual oppression into the kingdom of God. So I know, all right, here we go, we're gonna wrap it up, sorry, went long. Cool, bro, cool story, bro, Too bad science has debunked all that. Just real quick, real quick. If, if all that, you're like, dude, that's ridiculous. I can't buy into it, man. All right, it's all mental illnesses. Okay, dude, I'm with you, I get it, okay? But just real quick, real quick. If that's your position, you have a problem now. It's called evil you have a problem now. Now you have to rationally deal with things like genocide. Now you have to rationally and logically come to some conclusion as to why in World War II the Third Reich would would efficiently and effectively kill as, as many people as they possibly could as fast as they possibly could. Now you have to come up with a sociological and psychological rationale. And what you have to say is that, well, that was just good intentions gone bad. What else can you say? Or you can say, well, humans are trash. They're evil. Dude, how low opinion of humans do you have? To say that humans can, will just naturally do that unaided by dark spiritual powers? Like humanity's just going to naturally do that kind of chaos? No, dude, listen. You, Christians can look at that in the eyes and say that's demonic from the pit of hell. That's from their father who's been doing it from the beginning. That's the offspring of the snake. See, Christians can look at that mess and call it what it is. If you're not a Christian, you gotta figure out what to do with evil. You gotta figure out where that came from. Secularists have to say it's just good intentions gone wrong, right? Christian narrative, to me, is much more compelling in this way because we can call it what it is, demonic. From the pit of hell, right? Not, that's why it's so grotesque. You ever watch a World War II documentary? It's like you said grotesque, like your guts just, whoa. Humans shouldn't be treated like that. What is that, man? Just because we weren't made for that mess. Right, we were made for glory. Imago Dei, you're made in the image of God. That's the Christian narrative and it's so much more compelling to me than how secular people try to deal with the problem of evil in the world, right? So let me just wrap it up with this. First Peter, he's gonna pick up on this croucher sin language from Genesis. Remember that this sins a croucher? He's going to pick up on this. He's going to say, hey, you know your adversary, the devil? He prowls like a lion seeking to devour someone. Right? Okay, so this is what I know right now. We're wrapping it up. Sorry, guys, I went so long. Um, there's a lot of people in our society who would never, ever put any kind of spiritual language to how they feel. They would never say things like this. They would never admit things like this. They would never say, even admit that's a possibility in the cosmos. But they would know what it feels like, look at me, to be devoured. Hmm? You got friends in your life right now who would describe their scenario in an instant as I feel like I'm being eaten alive. You may, you may feel like that right now. You may feel like, dude, everything is coming down on me my marriage is falling apart. Addiction is ruining my life, right? Like, I'm, I'm taking every over-counter, every over-counter, what am I trying to say? Over-the-counter over drug, right? I'm, I'm taking every over-the-counter drug I can get and I'm about ready to try other kinds, right? They would never say, I think the devil's got me in his cage. No, but they would say, man, I feel trapped. I feel trapped. I feel like the feeling's just pressing down on me. I'm so depressed. I'm so angry, right? I have no clue why. Just angry all the time, dude. The powers. I feel trapped. I just I'm trying to knock this habit. I've been doing that stupid 20 years trying to get this habit. Dude, the powers, man. And Jesus came along and he claimed authority over that. When it talks about Jesus being seated high and lifted up over every rule, over every authority, it's saying that he claimed he had authority over the powers. Dude, you know, Dude, there's another lion in scripture, yo. There's another lion in scripture. I man, it's the lion and the lamb, right? Dude, I love that, right? Comes back, devours the enemy. Man, I get excited. All right, so you may be in a place today where you would just never give any intellectual credence to this idea, but you're in a place today where you say, I, I feel like I'm being devoured. I feel like the circumstances, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's, I just, man, that's just slide it across the table to you, dude. Jesus claims he has authority over that. And he claims that he loves you enough to meet you even today. what I just want to say to you, if you feel, and again, you'd never describe it the way I've described it today, but if you feel like you're just, like I'm a cage. Like everywhere you look, man, bars. You just, you just feel stuck. Man, we're going to take communion? We're going to have people that would love to, to pray with you to Jesus, the one who has authority over that, and ask him to enter. At the end of the day, does it doesn't matter if it's emotional or physical or spiritual. You just feel trapped, right? And Jesus says he can help with that. Let's call him on his word, man. Let's believe. What does it mean to be a Christian? So we, we believe who you are, who you say you are, Jesus. Let's stand and come to the table, guys. Uh, 1 Peter 3, says this. Jesus at the right hand of God <clears throat> with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is what all this means. As a Christian, you need not fear dark spiritual powers. That's what it means, number one. Number two, it means, look at me, your battle is never against another human. You didn't hear me. Your battle is never against another human. Christian, hello? You're never fighting against another human. Your battle is against something behind. All right, there's something else at play in anger and violence and deceit that our battle is against. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the dark spiritual powers and authorities. We don't fight against each other, y'all. Everything in you is trying to get annoyed at that person and frustrate that person. That's not the problem. There's another problem. Someone's playing with you. All right, let me pray. Jesus, help my friends (laughs) just cipher through all this stuff that we've been talking about today. God, I pray that you would comfort my friends right now. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us in this moment. And no matter, God, how we would think about it, God, if we are feeling under oppression or attack or just, man, depression or locked into anger, I pray that we would have the guts to come to you. God, I pray that we would not settle for churchianity. God, I pray that we would come to you yourself who claims to have power and authority over sin, shame, and guilt, and spiritual powers. Thank you, Jesus. In name we pray these things, amen. If we can pray for you for anything, uh, please come up and let us pray for you and go ahead and apologize to the kids' workers for me. All right, see, see you next week.